The scripture reading today comes from the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. It's just one verse, verse 26. We read there, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and may it guide us today and every day. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for the privilege that we have to, to gather here uh, Sunday after Sunday to, um, to open your word, uh, to sing your praises, to offer our prayers, to meet with one another and enjoy one another's company. And most of all, we thank you that every time we gather, that you meet with us. And it's my prayer for every one of us that's here today that we would know that we have been in your presence, that we would know it is a matter of our experience and not just as a kind of fact that we could write down on a piece of paper. We pray that Today, you would speak to us through your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth. And then we ask, Lord, that you would come to our aid through your Holy Spirit and enable us to put into practice that which you say to us. Again, we thank you for the wonderful gift of your word. And we thank you in the name of your son, whom you love, and whom you sent to die in our place. In his name, we offer you this time and our prayers. Amen. So, uh, while I was in high school, I, uh, I had to make some choices about which classes I needed to take. And one of those choices concerned an English class. And there were several different options I had, and I really don't remember all the ones that there were. And it was a long time ago, and I, I can't really remember if I drug my feet in turning in the paperwork or, or if it just was that the other classes were really just so popular, but I, I ended up with with a one class that I really didn't want. It was at the very bottom of my list, and I tried to change it, but to no avail. And so I was uh, stuck with a class on Shakespeare. And all of my male friends were sympathetic with me, and they felt sorry for me, uh, but not quite maybe as sorry as I felt for myself. And uh, and then the first day of that new semester rolled around, and then it came time for the English class, and I, I went to my Shakespeare class, and I was the only boy there. And I thought, well, you know what? This might not be so bad after all. 
And, uh, and not only was the male-female ratio a happy one for me, but uh, being the only guy in the class, I, I became the teacher's pet. Uh, of course, I did get all of the leading roles, right? Of course I would. I was the only guy there. But the teacher really did treat me special. I, I suppose maybe she was glad to have a guy in the course also. Uh, any boy would have done, I'm sure, even when he was as reluctant as I was. But there was no doubt that I really was a favorite of Mrs. Muldoon. And the girls saw it too, but they didn't begrudge it even a little bit. I guess maybe they were glad to have a guy in there also. And I never thought that I could um, I could get away with anything. And Mrs. Muldoon, she really did make me toe the line. But it was nice to know that I was a favorite, that she really was on my side. And when all was said and done, it, it was really a really great experience. And I even learned to love Shakespeare through it. Maybe in part because I enjoyed such a favored position being that teacher's pet. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, yeah, I remember those people, and I really hated them. <laughs> and, and I can understand why you might feel that way. I, I felt that way sometimes, too. I mean, uh, sometimes those people that are in that position were, well, let's just say they were a bit obsequious. Uh, they were sycophants, and, and uh, you didn't always like the way that they interacted with the teachers and it was also exclusionary I mean I mean there were only one or two people who could be the teachers pests and so as one or two were in and all the rest were out but if you were on the inside however if you were one of the ones that were the pet then it was really a pretty nice thing pretty nice position to be in and that's the part that I want you to keep in mind, be, being in that favored position. It's going to help us to understand a, a certain concept that we're going to look at this morning. Now, probably teachers shouldn't have favorites, and yet it does happen. But the negative aspects of it really don't apply to what we're going to talk about today, and you're going to see why. I tell you this story because almost... All of us here, at one time or another, have found ourselves being in a favored position. Maybe we were a teacher's pet, or maybe there was a coach that liked us, or a scout leader, or maybe an aunt, or an uncle, or then there's grandmothers and grandfathers who, who really make you feel special. And that specialness, uh, that being in that favored position, is a kind of a faint echo of what it means to be blessed. You see, being blessed means being in God's favor, being special to God. Now, I've tried the various definitions of that word blessed or blessed, you know, over the years, such as blessing, blessed means uh, being joyful in a holy and unending way, and, and they've all been helpful to some extent, and they fit some texts better than others, but I really think that the best all-around definition of that word being blessed is being in God's favor. And what's really wonderful about that is, is that anyone can be in God's favor. Uh, you just have to come to him, right? Uh, he, you can exclude yourself if you want to, but he won't exclude you. He welcomes one and all. 
So today's Father's Day, right? And we're going to talk about what it means to you as a dad and your family, and especially to your children and your grandchildren and, and those that follow them. If you're a dad, and if you're blessed, if you're one of those who are in God's favor. And we're going to see what a man like that looks like who is in God's favor. Now, of course, I have to tell you that the things we're going to say here today don't apply just to men. They can apply to women, too. But, dads, let's face it. um, We need all the help and all the encouragement we can get. And I think we can really take this teaching here today to heart. So the text that we're going to look at is in the Old Testament. It's Psalm 112, verses 1 through 4. And you can look on either side of me on the screen. It ought to be up there. Or you can turn to it in your Bible, which I really encourage because sometimes you might hear something that might strike you, and you can make a note there in the margins if you have it. But in any case, we're going to see what Psalm uh, says here today, Psalm 112, verses 1 through 4. Now, the first thing that we're going to do today is uh, we're going to describe some of the attributes of a man, or yes, uh, also a woman, who is blessed by God. And we're, gonna, we're going to tell you what they look like, in a sense. And then we're going to discover that they look this way because they have a genuine relationship with God. And then we're going to see what that means for the dad and for his family. Now, there's one more thing we have to note before we can go on, Then that is, is that we're dealing here in these passages with um, Hebrew poetry. And that poetry, Hebrew poetry, is written for the most part in a kind of couplets. Uh, uh, the first line, or strophe, uh, states some particular thing. And then the second line sometimes repeats or says in different words the same thing. And sometimes it makes a contrast. It draws a distinction. But most of the time, that second statement adds some information so that it says more. It tells you more about the thing that it's talking about. Now that we said that, we can really begin looking at the text. And we're going to start by looking at a word that tells us about the moral character of the kind of person we're talking about, the person who is in God's favor, and that is he is upright. And so in the second half of the second verse, we read, the generation of the upright will be blessed. And that word upright tells us about the moral character of the person who is blessed by God. And the picture here really is that of of a kind of a vertical structure that's perfectly straight and plumb. And and you can imagine kind of a a, a post in the ground that is absolutely straight and plumb. And and if you were building a fence, you could could put another post uh, away from that and and look down it and line it up, and you would see that it's straight or not, at least in that one plane. And, And the dad who's upright is like that. He... He can stand tall. He, he's what other people could be measured by. And what he said, he, he stands tall. He doesn't have anything to be ashamed of. And, and he endeavors to do what's right in his life. And, and in that way, he's straight. He's upright. He's, he's a standard. And people can look to him and, and say, that's a good guy there. And it's not that he never sins. 
because we all do. But when he does, he, he confesses it and he turns from it. And, and, and even then, he's setting an example of what a righteous man, an upright man does. See, he's a moral man. He's upright and he's someone that you can trust. Now, that moral character, that uprightness uh, brings with it, or maybe better yet we could say, is the source of some other characteristics or traits that really make it personal. In other words, that uprightness begins to invite you to itself. And, and so this is not only someone you can trust, but it's someone you want to be around. So remember that in this Hebrew poetry, the second line adds some information to us. It, it tells us more about the subject uh, that it's talking about. And so we're going to jump down to verse 4 here and begin reading there. It says, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. That's who we're talking about now is the upright. And then the rest of the verse tells us more. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. You see, the upright man, the man of real moral character is a, is a person who is gracious and compassionate and righteous. And, and, and the upright dad is, is a man of real moral character, and so he's gracious. And I, I read a book years ago. I, I couldn't tell you how long it was. It's called The Arms of Krupp, and, and it was about the German army manufacturers and their history. And and one of the last in that generation in the time of Hitler was really in many ways a gentle man. And he had uh, some dinner guests come in. And it was a really fancy, full-blown, seven-course meal, you know. And at one core point, they brought around finger bowls. And you know what they are. You, you put your fingers in them and kind of clean them off and then dry them, right? So this one guy had never seen one before, and he didn't know what it was. And they put it in front of him, and he picked it up and drank it. And the head of the family, Mr. Krupp, saw him do that. And he reached out and he took his own finger bell and he picked it up and he drank it. And everyone else around the table did the same. You see, see that's graciousness. That's, that's kindness. It's, it's, it's something that you do for someone else, you see. And so the upright man is gracious. And again, another word for it is simply being kind. And then again, such a dad is also compassionate. His, his heart goes out to others. He, he feels the things you feel. You're glad, then he's happy, you're sad, and he feels sorrow. And the truth is, dads, that sometimes is the harder one for us because, you see, we know we have to maintain the standard. We have to keep moving our kids in the same direction. And, and yet sometimes we, we know, we really know that our kids are, are, are struggling thinking hard about some things, feeling strongly about something. So, so maybe your son has decided that he doesn't want to play a particular sport next year, and you made him stick it out this year, but you realize he really doesn't want to do that. He wants to do something else, or, or he wants to do nothing at all. And you, and you might even be thinking that's not the right thing to do. He ought to keep on because he's good at it, but but you come alongside of him, and you, and you support him in his decision, or... Or your daughter's heart's breaking because one of her friends has gone down the wrong path. And so maybe you share a story from your past about how you went down the wrong path or someone you know who did, and you encourage her to pray. And you simply come alongside of her and support her. See, that's compassion. We might also call it understanding. And so a godly dad has that. He's gracious and he's 
understanding. And then this man of more character is also righteous. And, and that's probably the most difficult one for us to talk about because, you see, in our culture, we don't understand that word. And, and so people in our culture, they hear that word righteous and they think self-righteous or holier than thou or, or prig. And nothing at all could be farther from what real righteousness it is. Possibly, maybe the best word we could use to substitute for that word righteous is good. And when you have to say it the right way, you know, he's a really good man. You see, at, at, at heart, righteousness is really just trying to be right with other people. Trying to be right with God and trying to be right with other people. So, so the Bible tells us, Love one another, and you fulfill the commandments. The righteousness treats everyone the same, fairly, honestly, and honorably. And you walk away from a, an encounter with someone like that, and, and you really do, and you think, wait, he's a really great guy. See, the upright man is gracious, that he's, he's kind, he's compassionate, understanding, he's righteous, he's a, he's a really good guy. And, and you really could sum it up by saying, you feel when you're around someone like that, like you're in his favor, like he's blessing you. And that's what the person looks like that we're talking about. He's a, he's a person who is in God's favor. And we've already said that this really comes from having a relationship with God, and that's pretty much where this psalm starts. And so, after beginning with a kind of an invitation, an invitation to praise God, the psalmist says something that to our modern ears is almost grating. See, it tells us that the person who is in God's favor is the one who fears God. And so, we read in verse 1 Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who who fear the Lord. See, that person is blessed. That person is in God's favor who fears God. And I know that most of the people who hear that, probably even in here, many of us think, well, I don't want a God that I'm afraid of. Well, are you sure of that? I, I mean, certainly you don't want to be terrified by God. But are you sure you that you don't want a God that uh, that you have to fear? Do you, do you want a tame God? Do you, do you want a God that you can control? Or, or do you want a God who is real and good and powerful and one who can fix the mess that is you and me? A God who has a will of his own, who will make you what you ought to be no matter what it costs him and no matter what it costs you. See, that's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. And when you realize that, when you really realize it, that you don't control your life, he does, then you have a taste of biblical fear of God. You know, most people, we don't start out at that place, not in our culture. And some do. More people used to, but most don't start out there. We usually start somewhere else. We usually come to 
Our God into a different path with an offer of love and forgiveness and that kind of thing. But I can tell you something, that God brings us back to that fear at some point in our lives. Uh, we don't often realize that it's happening. Um, uh, we, when it's going on, we feel angry or we feel frustrated because things aren't going our way or as planned. And we wonder why God is not helping us get where we want to go reach our goals and our plans and then one day we realize that's just not his plan and you aren't getting there and when that happens all sorts of feelings come to you at that point anger frustration sorrow but if you look closely you'll see that at the bottom of them all really is fear a health kind of fear you see you do not control your destiny god and so you can work with high-voltage electricity if you're an electrician, right? You can work with it safely. But I don't think it's ever a good idea to lose your fear of it because it'll fry you. And, and, and so you need to have that healthy kind of fear. And, um, and we use words like awe and respect to try to communicate that. Bible doesn't use those words. It uses that word fear. Because God is great. And he is in control. Now, the Bible does say that perfect love casts out all fear. And God will do that. But as George MacDonald says, we don't do people a favor by teaching them not to fear God before they've learned to love them. So fear of God is a relationship. It's a real relationship. It's a genuine worship. It's part and parcel of being a human being, of being a, a creature of God, someone made by God. But it is only the beginning, and uh, it's not where we are meant to stay. And the second strophe here tells us more about this person who is blessed by God, and that is that they love God's word. So we read verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Adds information. Who finds great delight in his commands. You see, the, the dad who is in God's favor loves God's word. It, it's part of his relationship with God. <coughs> so, excuse me. So God communicates to his children through his word. He tells us the truth about ourselves. He he tells us the truth about the world that we live in, even the spiritual realities that we need to know. But best of all, he tells us about himself. And the dad who is in God's favor is a dad who loves God's word because he loves fellowship with God that comes from that. You know, often I leave here in the evening during the week, right, and I'm on my way home, and I, I take my cell phone, and, I do, I do, I take my cell phone and I call my wife and I tell her I'm on my way home and, and I don't do that because she needs to know it's just because I want to talk to her even if it's just for a minute I want to hear the melodious sound of your voice you see when we first got our cell phones it was so great 
we could be in different cars going different directions and we'd be talking and sometimes we'd be on the same highway and we knew we were going to pass going in opposite directions and we'd look for one another, you see. That's, that's, that's what God's word is like for us. A man who loves God, he knows that way about the Bible. I know sometimes it's, it's hard to keep our mind on what we're reading. But that's just like all other relationships, isn't it? It takes work. But we never give up. And we never give up God's word because we really do have a real relationship with a real God. A God who has changed us because we've come to us. And he's made us upright people who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. And that brings us to the last thing that we're going to look at today. And that is dad's. What does that mean for our families, especially for our children and those who follow? And we're going to have to move a little bit more quickly here because of the time, but we're going to begin in verse 3 where we're told that real treasure is in his home. So we read there, wealth and riches are in their houses. So real treasure is in their home, and this isn't referring to money. You see, the second line, the second strophe, really does make that clear, as we'll see. See, we're only promised by God to have the needs of our lives met, and so those health and wealth creatures really do have it wrong, and we'll see that, too, in this text. The real treasure that's in their homes is treasure that moth and rust can't corrupt and that thieves can't break in. You see how it's a treasure of love. It's a treasure of caring treasure of children, it's a treasure of relationships and of friendships and of lives shared. It's a treasure of a willingness to share and to give and to even give all that we have. And a heart that learns to say something like this, silver and gold I may not have, but what I have I give to you. Myself second uh, half of that verse tells us more about that treasure. And see, it's uh, righteous and it endures forever. And so we read, wealth and riches in their home and their righteousness, that wealth and riches endures forever. And so that treasure of that man who is blessed by God lasts forever. And that means that he does. You see, he lives forever and all the good that he has done because of his relationship with God will echo throughout eternity with that man or with that woman himself or herself. A person in God's favor has real treasures in their house that last with them forever, and it doesn't mean that you won't face hard times because you will. The next verse tells us that in verse 4, God We'll make a way, but we'll face hard times. And so we read there, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. So God makes a way for us. The hard times come. The health and wealth people are wrong. The hard times come. There will be times when it feels dark. There will be some times when it will be pitch black to us. But God, in his time, brings the light. He makes a way. And it really is a picture dark night without a moon or star in the sky 
even in darkness. Light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteousness. And both of those things, the real treasure in their homes, and that promise of light in the dark times benefit not just that person who's in God's favor, but those who are around him. See, Dad, your relationship with God blesses your wife and your children, but especially, especially your children, as verse 2 makes clear. Their children will be mighty in the land. Dad, your, your relationship with your children, your relationship with God builds a foundation in your child's life that makes them mighty in the land. And that means you've laid it a foundation in their life that equips them to live effectively in this world, uh, to make a mark here, to, to be influential. That's what happens. All in all of those good things, all those good traits that that make them successful when they grow up. They all are built on that foundation that you laid because of your relationship with God. So our children can do one of three things with that foundation. They can squander it, and some do. Or they can learn to live effectively in the world and be part of the world. Or they can build on it for eternity. But if you have a genuine relationship with God, then you have given them the best start that they can have in this life. And, and that relationship doesn't, does even more than that. It affects those who come after them. And that's the second part of verse 2. It says, the generation of the upright are blessed. The, the generation, meaning not just the children, but the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and those who follow them. And you know, the Bible says, for a thousand generations, back in uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 6, you don't need to see there, read something, it says this, it says, God visits uh, on the children the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. You, you understand something here? God is limiting the negative effects of what people do. So a man who's an alcoholic, he affects his children and those who follow, but God limits that effect. But it goes on to say this, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, you affect not just your children, but those who come after them. And then the second half of that verse also tells us that they'll be blessed. And again, that means that they're going to be in God's favor. And what that means is because they still have to make their own decisions, is that you put them on the path towards God. You've done the best you can by them. Now they can squander it, or they can wander aimlessly about on that path for a period of time, or they can follow it straight to God and begin building their own relationship with Him where they will be a blessing to others. You see, if you have a genuine relationship to God, you've laid a good foundation for your children. And you've set them on the path towards God's blessing. And you have done it for all of those who follow your children. The dad who has a real relationship with God is in God's favor. God builds his moral character and makes him upright. 
and he becomes gracious, kind, compassionate, understanding, righteous, and brave. And he and his whole family benefits from the real treasure in his home and the light that always comes to him in the darkness. And he, and he builds the right foundation in his children's lives and sets them on the path toward God. And there is nothing better that you can do for them. Years ago, a friend of mine made a statement. She said, the best thing I can do for someone else is be right with God myself. Now, both of my sons are taller than I am. And I think Addie wishes she were. And I have to tell you, I have tried to live in such a way that no matter how tall they get, they could always look up to me. I feel like I failed in so many ways. else to do. The best thing I can do for them is be right with God myself. Happy Father's Day. What you do